Next question. Hello everybody, welcome back to Too Many Tangents. My name is Charlie Sanders. Uh, sorry, it's been a while. We have been really busy and we've been in not the same state as each other. And we're still not in the same state as each other. Uh, but the joy of modern technology is that we can get around that a little bit. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Eliza gave a speech at um, Tauaha in Wellington, which was part of the culmination of her time as a choreographic mentee at Muscle Mouth. And uh, she recorded that event and we are bringing it to you here. She talks about her creative process during that, the learnings that she made and discoveries. And I think you will probably find it interesting. I know I certainly did. It was really nice to hear it when I wasn't there. As always with live events in large rooms, the audio is not quite as good as when we're in a quiet room. So apologies for the slight crackle, I hope you'll indulge it. And without further ado, here is Eliza Sanders speaking about her experience as a choreographic mentee at Muscle Mouth. Eyeballs, eyeballs, flesh. Fresh attempts to tempt temptation, to elevate sensation. A dormant destination, ecstatic in its erotic audacity. Exotic. Irreversible elasticity, a consequence of irresistible stretching of tendons, veins, and limits. Elasticity maintained in order to attain a liminal state that sustains, lasts. Electric evocation, a vocation coloured by correlation covered in skin and eccentric coloration. This is the nation of your skin. This is my dent. This is my doorway. A flesh attempt to tempt temptation freshly made with your skin. Flesh wound, fresh bodily purse, concealed lips. Lips peeled to see the sensation of another's mouth. Ecstatic elevation as a result of the contact. Hard but hardly there, remembering something instead. Instant gratification and a lifetime of longing. Insistent on switching the room so the walls become the ceiling, the ceiling becomes the floor, and the past becomes an echoed present repeating itself in time again and again. Immemorial impossibilities echoing the past into the present. An hour on this, a moment for that, sitting still for the present, watching, elated. I am drawn in, inspired, and mouth-breathing. Kia ora, beautiful people. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, as I'm sure you know, my name is Eliza Sanders. I'm a freelance performer, choreographer, and teacher, and um, the co-artistic director of House of Sand, which is the production company for dance theatre. I'm going to talk about my experience being mentored by Ross and Mel from Muscle Mouth and how that's informed my creative practice. And then I'm going to perform an improvisation. It's an experiment which is informed by the mentorship as well as being a continuation of the practice that I have been working on over the past five years. The reason I'm a little bit formal is because I'm recording it for the House of Sand podcast. So if you feel like heckling, your voices may be published. Cool, so after taking a workshop with Muscle Mouth as it stands at the end of 2017, it became enormously apparent to me that this is a group of artists that I could learn hugely from. So I approached Ross and Mel uh, to ask if they would allow me to observe the creation and was very generously and thoughtfully welcomed into the process. Before I even entered the space, I was aware of how rigorous and compassionate they are as artists in the way that they approach my request. Genuinely interested to support my creative research, to respect me as an individual and as an artist, while taking care to be sure that my presence wouldn't compromise their work. 
muscle mouth of the people in New Zealand who are making work which is universally appealing to me, which treads the line between dance and theatre and that values and utilises a rigorous integration of design while also harnessing a movement language with a specific identity. For me, their work speaks to human ideas and emotions in a way which allows the audience to find their own connections and associations while also putting forward a unique aesthetic world. Their work establishes a surreal identity which is familiar enough to make you feel that what's happening on stage could be about you and the experience of being human. It's also strange enough to draw you in, confuse you a little bit and make you curious. But that's also not quite it. Every explanation I attempt to write about it feels useless and that's why I know their work is important. What they're saying, whatever they're saying, can only be articulated through the mediums that they're doing it. They're harnessing the power of non-linguistic forms to communicate in the most genuine way. I also now know what I suspected to be true, and that is that in terms of process, their work harnesses the power of collaboration in the truest form, with each member contributing their honest interpretation of a shared goal. The work is more important than any one person's form, ego, or idea. The work is a separate entity with its own needs and desires. Paradoxically, the elements are simultaneously completely reliant on each other while needing to be entirely separate and strong in their own convictions. What I think I have seen is that the process to discover a work must be characterised by a communication infused with patience, compassion, enthusiasm and curiosity. With these values, each collaborator seeks to understand what the work is asking of their contribution as well as from the other collaborators. The mentorship took the form of essentially me being in the studio and observing the creation of As It Stands for the <coughs> Auckland Festival for the full studio period. I'd take class with the dancers in the morning, sit in on production meetings and observe quietly in the corner throughout the day. When time permitted, I'd pick the brains of the creative team to unpack what they were focusing on, what they were concerned about and their views on this work as well as dance creation and the industry in general. I realise now what a strange and lucky experience it is to get a chance to sit quietly in a room full of creative people who are making work that you infinitely admire and to have no responsibility other than to ponder your own thoughts. I'm acutely aware that there are massive amounts of things that I've learned that I can't yet articulate and that I'll only discover and unpack when I'm working for myself over time. So this talk is just the tip of the iceberg, the first few things that I've begun to solidify. My initial research question was to discover how the creative relationship between a choreographer and a dramaturg works. I was particularly interested in Ross and Mel because their creative relationship mirrors the one I share with my sibling, Charlie. Uh, I didn't want to uh, copy them. I wanted to understand how they work so I could get an insight into some different versions and options. Before I started, I articulated questions in four key areas. One, the role of the dramaturg with questions like, how does dance dramaturgy work? Why is it necessary? When does a choreographer seek a dramaturg? And what's the dramaturg's motivation? Two, the choreo choreographic process. How a movement language is developed? What motivates their aesthetic? And what does it mean to refine movement? Three, the nature of collaborative communication. How do collaborative teams generate shared languages to communicate ideas? Who has priority when, how, and why? And four, the interaction between producing and creating. How do you negotiate the interaction between logistical elements and creative ones? When and why does one have to be compromised for the other? Essentially, I set myself up to be inundated by a clusterfuck of information coming at me from all angles. <laughs> and that's not even acknowledging that I was also supremely interested in the experience of the dancers and their process of energy management and creative integration. 
Luckily, I quickly realised that if I tried to categorise and understand what I was learning as it happened, I would lose my ability to gain from the energetic flow of the room. Throughout the process, I had two books, one for research and one for inspiration. In my research book, I've picked up countless insights into how to communicate, how to run a room, how and when to discuss what things, with whom and in what way. But for me, those things need to be explored in my own practice before I can talk about them. I gained plenty of tips, most of which will not be new information for creative practice, just new information for me. Unsurprisingly, in hindsight, my inspiration book filled up much, much quicker and with much more enthusiasm and clarity. I am, after all, a creative in my own right, more than I am a dance academic. For me, the later fuels the first and not the other way around. This process has made that very clear. So my new question has become, how do I use what I'm learning and receiving energetically in this room for my own creative output? Now there's a problem here. My struggle is, how do you do that when, A, your form is dance, and because of the nature of the opportunity you've created for yourself, you have to sit and watch and write. B, you have no bodies to work on but your own. C, there's no specific outcome from this, nothing particular to work towards. It requires entirely self-motivation, including deciding what the focus of the project is. D, you're interested in the process of the choreographer, the dancers, the producers, the dramaturg, the methods of communication. There's too many things to pay attention to and so many lenses that you could choose to look through all happening at once. Finally, and most importantly, it emerges that you're observing the creation of a work that you admire in such a multitude of ways, it's essentially what you hope to be able to create yourself. Problem here is, someone is already making that work and watching it happen. Now, it's fine to create versions of the same thing, not everything has to be original, but in this instance, you feel you're observing the best of this particular type of work, work that's essentially flawless in relation to your own tastes and interests. And the more you know about how it's made, the more you would be creating a pale imitation of something rather than engaging your own creative mind. I'd like to take a sidestep here to talk about the phases of learning. Uh, it's a concept that I found endlessly fascinating and helpful. I'm not sure where I first learned it. I think probably my mum. But Wikipedia told me yesterday that it was a psychologist called Noel Birch who came up with it. Uh, anyway, it goes like this. Stage one, unknown, unknowing. You don't know a thing exists, you don't know a piece of information exists, you don't know that you should have it, you're completely oblivious to it. Like a five-year-old who's never taken a dance class, doesn't know what a plie is, doesn't know that the knees should go over the toes in a plie. They are con unconscious and incompetent. Stage two is known unknowing. You've discovered that the skill or piece of information exists, but you have no mastery or understanding of it yet. Uh, so you're taking your first ballet class and the teacher tells you, what a plie is, and that the knees should go over the toes, but you don't have any capacity to do that in your body or any understanding of it yet. You are consciously incompetent. This stage is exciting, but it's also infinitely frustrating. It's when we're driven by the potential of progress, but it's also when we're most aware of our inadequacies. Stage three is my favorite phase. It's where you know that, you know that the thing exists, you can do it, you understand it, you are consciously capable of that thing. Uh, it's when you know you can do a Debbie plie and every time you do it, you're like, oh my god, my knees are going over my toes. Or, you know, maybe like a backflip or something a little bit more cool than a Debbie plie. I don't know. Um, it's where you get a boost of self-esteem, you feel clever and more capable and you're conscious of it. You're consciously competent. Finally, stage four is unknown knowing. You've done the thing so many times, you don't have to think about it anymore, you don't even notice you're doing it, like driving a car, 
whatever. I've been doing plies with knees over my toes for 20 years and not thinking about it for ages. More likely my brain is thinking about how I don't yet know how to do my taxes or what country I'm going to be in next week. Our brains tend to sit in two a lot of the time. Um, the point is we forget the things we can do and we crave to learn new things so that we can have that conscious rush of pride in expanding our capabilities. This experience was a really interesting one for me. I was being brought into stage two a lot, becoming aware of the shortfalls in my own practice and unable to expand or test my abilities because I didn't have an active role. Having this theory in the back of my mind, however, allowed me to sit in a place of not knowing in a way that I've not done before, which in itself was kind of a three which was quietly encouraging. I realised that I needed to let things pass through me without fully comprehending them or articulating them or I would be blocking other possible learnings. The acceptance of this brought my brain into a place which was a careful combination of really intense observation and a kind of fuck it, what will be, will be mentality, which turned out to be a really wonderful combination for writing poetry. So I started writing a lot of poetry in response to what I was observing in the room. This is not something that's completely new to me. I've often written poetry on trains and planes while I've been travelling, and I've used it in a couple of previous shows. In the past, my interest was predominantly in form, in the texture of the words and the joy of articulating certain sounds and rhythms. The meaning didn't matter so much. In fact, I was particularly driven to the nonsense and meaningless of it all. I wanted to think about the sounds of the words, like the movement of the body, not a description of a certain thing, but alluding to energies and experiences that we can't quite grasp onto. I'm still fond of this way of thinking, but throughout this process, I found a kind of poetry that speaks a little more to moments, ideas and experiences in a way. The poems are mostly sparked from little fragments, moments and thoughts that popped up in the room, some from the work itself, others from the process and the interactions of the collaborators. I allowed these moments to flow off in a train of association and opened myself up to the personal memories that they sparked. So the poems that started from the turn of Luke's head pressed against the fold of Lauren's arm became about an experience from my childhood, an imaginary event or an unrelated concept. Each poem in itself may be unrelated to the work or the process, but it always began from a moment during the creation of As It Stands in some capacity. In many ways, this speaks to a bigger interest of mine that I touched on earlier, and that is the ability of dance as an abstract language to invite us to see how our own stories our own stories in what we're observing on stage. As it stands doesn't prescribe a particular narrative or set of meanings but allows the audience to associate their own understandings to what's happening. For me this is the wonder and power of dance. I hope that the poetry I've written reflects this in some way, clear enough to give you a way in but abstract enough for you to find something in it that I may not have intended. Over the past few weeks I've returned to some of the things I wrote and found new meanings in them that I didn't intend. The poem that I started this talk with was initially very much about the creative process, but since using it for a performance piece in Canberra last week, it's now blatantly about vaginas and one-night stands. I like that. <laughs> I like that it's a reiteration of my learning and that the, work, that the work has a life and mind of its own that the artist just acts in service of. The process of writing these poems has also helped me to revisit some key interests that keep reoccurring in my creative practice. I've been able to really realise and solidify what those things are through realising that they are some of the innate elements that draw me to Muscle Mouth's work. Because they exist in their work in a slightly different way to mine, I've been able to understand them in a new way. Those things are memory, association and the interaction of apparent binaries.
Um, I'm going to take a quick intermission now. If you could all just stand up. Um, if you want to, I'm not forcing you to do anything. Um, but I'm just going to play some music that I enjoyed being played during the warm-ups and have a little bit of a dance. So you're welcome to join in. <laughs> Lovely to watch you all move. Okay, where was I? All right, memory, association, and the interaction of apparent binaries. <laughs> all right, um, it brings me to improvisation. I've been interested in improvisation uh, to spark creation for ages now, but not quite known how to frame it or in what capacity it, is most, it has the most potential for me. In the past works, I've done long-form group improvisations with the cast and then used videos to unpack and recreate certain moments. But I have felt inadequate when it comes to refining these moments for performance. I've always struggled with the feeling that there is an essence of something that happened in the moment of improvisation that can never quite be re-articulated. I've always felt that for the most part, my process of refining it weakens the image or the moment in some way. I was interested to see how Ross, the dancers and the team dealt with this phenomenon. It felt scary but liberating to me to see that they don't film anything in the early stages. It has to be about the body in action and the process of memory. Memory is also a particular fascination of mine in terms of process and product. During the creation of my work, Fear of Eggs, we attempted to develop processes that bring back childhood memories, to revisit sensations from those moments and unpack their relationship to our current experiences and associations. Throughout that research, I learned that each time you have a memory, you're not actually remembering that thing. You're remembering the last time you had a memory of that thing. Uh, so memory is notoriously unreliable and constantly changing. The relationship between memory and reinvention, between reflection and imagination, is much closer than I assumed. Learning this, I was able to see that we are engaging in an act of creation every time we think about the past. I found this information incredibly intimidating, personally and professionally. I worry that it means I'll reimagine something that was good and accidentally fuck up the best qualities of it. But I have also had a sense that there could be something really powerful in harnessing the innate creative capacity of memory and wanted to unpack it further. On another level, it also plays into an interest I have in attempting to acknowledge and embrace failure in the creative process. So even though accepting it is not always easy, knowing this information about memory helps me to accept and allow that things will change over time. Things will inevitably morph. There's nothing that can be done about it. Writing this now, it seems incredibly obvious. What's interesting about the nature of live performance is the liveness of it, the fact of being slightly different every time and never quite reliable, just like life. <laughs> but for me as a creator, that can often be the very thing that frustrates me and leads me to feel dissatisfied with my work. I can see a little more clearly now, though, that the work of the artist is to be present in the current iteration and alive to the possibilities, to be receptive to how each iteration might contribute to the work and in doing so expand the possibilities for what the work might become. What I observed in the Muscle Mouth team is that this is enhanced by an insatiable desire to keep layering more information on and a maddening ability not to feel that it will risk something being broken that is already good enough. 
For Ross, often the information that's added is a question. If the performer injects the movement with a sense of uncertainty, a new curiosity can emerge and the movement can start to surprise even the people making it. I interviewed a few of the dancers throughout the time and almost all of, with almost all of them we talked about how it's very specific and then proceeded to not be able to articulate how it was specific in any way. Maybe it's specific in its ambiguity or uncertainty, but that makes it sound weaker than I think it really is. Whatever it is, it means then that rather than being desensitised to something upon repetition, we actively encourage it to become something different. There's enough to keep us engaged and not just for the sake of being different, but because there is a sense that there is always more potential to the thing. It seems to me, from observing the teamwork, that if something has been covered in layers and subjected to continuous questioning, if one element falls away, there will still be a whole fat, delicious pastry underneath. It's like baklava. You don't really notice if you lose a layer until you stand up and you have crumbs all over your pants. Uh, but if it does all crumble apart, you can collect the pieces and combine them in new ways to create some other kind of wanky deconstructed dish. For example, pants baklava. Not my best metaphor, but <laughs> I couldn't really think of anything else. Anyway, I've seen some pieces from As It Stands in different dishes in systems now, and within a new context, they're still great food, though certainly for a very different palate. So there's space here for things to be used again and again and continue to grow and gain new meaning across a whole body of work. Perhaps that's where the power of collaboration and the ultimate responsibility being to the work comes in. System is able to be completely distinct from as it stands because each of the main collaborators is choosing slightly different layers every time. The combination is not decided by any one person but by the ephemeral desire of the piece itself. So these are some of my thoughts on the process of refining movement, how the attempt to be specific through only using memory, which is innately unreliable, and having each collaborator, whether it be dancers, musicians, designers, dramaturgs, engage in the game of an inevitable failure can result in material that is rich and juicy. Moving forward, I think the work here that I'm curious and excited to try for myself is in using memory to keep contact, even non-cognizant intuitive contact, with the previous iterations of a thing. I think this has the potential to combine in some really evocative ways with an interest I've been nurturing over the past five years, and that is an interest in the power of association. What we observe in a work of theatre, particularly abstract theatre like dance, is obviously shaded by our own experiences, understandings and memories. We will connect with the things that we think speak to us, to things we have experienced and we have an interest in. Over the past five years, I've been attempting to generate practices which wake up the capacity for the creator to bring to the surface and articulate what those associations might be. I'm interested in harnessing the potential of the associative mind to find meaning in moments which at first may seem arbitrary and to invite others to see their own things within them. For me, this interest in association is also a process of integrating and layering nonsensical and poetic text. I'm interested to see if the descriptive and often didactic form of spoken language can in fact expand possible interpretations rather than refining them. So it's intersected really beautifully with this experience of unpacking writing poetry during my time with the team, which brings me to what I'm gonna perform for you in a moment. Alongside my interest for choreographing set material over the past six months, I've been unpacking an interest in improvisation for performance. Two weeks before I started with Muscle Mouth, I spent some time in the studio with Christina Gieb and Ella Williams, experimenting with uh, developing a method for improvisation. It's still very much in process, 
but in essence, the interest was, how can I generate an improvisation score which enables the performers to be honestly responding to the moment while also existing within an established aesthetic framework? We identified five key things we believe as being the innate elements that make improvisation appealing to us. Surprise, awareness, presence, communication and risk. In an attempt to access these things as intensely and consistently as possible, we looked through the lens of apparent binaries. How does choice interact with chance, intuition with reason, awareness with action, meaning with form, etc.? How do we combine specificity with freedom? I've been interested in the intersection of apparent binaries in terms of content for a while. I've often explored the states of extreme pleasure and pain or happiness and sadness in relation to each other attempting to expose how they interact by drawing attention to the fact that they manifest physically as very similar. When we're crying, we often look like we're laughing, and when we're orgasming, we can appear to be screaming. Expanding on this idea, I've become interested to see how other apparent binaries can exist in the same moment and how they influence the understanding of each other, not ones exclusively related to emotion. I'm not quite yet able to articulate it, but I believe that this interaction of binaries is also something present in Muscle Mouse work, though as far as I understand, it's not a conscious or intentional interest. Finally, there's something very quietly brewing in the back of my mind in relation to how we embody binaries. How building an understanding of how they interact may encourage a way of being in the world that's a little less segregational. It's hopelessly idealistic, but perhaps in acknowledging the apparent conflicting forces within ourselves and seeing what happens when they come together, we can find compassion for those apparently other to us in the external world. I hope it's not too much to say, but there's a quiet activist in me chipping away at this exploration of form, and it's driven by an interest in peaceful and tolerant communication with ourselves and with others. So now I'm going to switch to abstract communication. I'm going to perform an improvised piece with, which draws on my experiences in the room at Muscle Mouth, as well as the content of As It Stands. Uh, it'll go for the duration of a poem that I wrote during my time in the studio, hopefully not more than half an hour. Uh, the text and the order of the text is the only set element. Everything else is improvised within scores that I've written for myself to do with binaries, memory and association. I'll be attempting to negotiate between choice and chance, intuition and reason, in order to deliver something that is a genuine response to myself in this moment, while also being engaging in some capacity for you. It feels like quite a healthy risk. The text I'm working with was written in one sitting. It's by no means the most refined or intuitive creative text I wrote while I was in Auckland, but I'd like to honour it as something that happened in a state of flow and to explore how each section is in conversation with the things on either side of it, to discover more about by seeing how individual moments respond to a broader context. I'd like to invite you to make some choices and follow your intuition as well, and open up the possibility that you can engage in this interaction however you see fit. If you've had enough of words, you can block your ears. If you want to hear the poetry without visual stimulus, you can close your eyes. You're welcome to leave at any point, and if you are so moved to do so, you can get up and respond physically. I'm open to being touched and interacted with. My only ask is that you make those intuitive responses with an awareness to how what you are doing might influence the experience of those around you. Hopefully, in knowing they have taken your experience into consideration, you can accept their actions. It may be that we all just feel happy sitting and watching quietly, and that's fine too. 
I'd like to make clear that this poem is not a, about my time with Muscle Mouth or about the work. It's simply a product of allowing my creative energy to flow while being influenced by an incredibly inspiring group of artists. If you're interested to jot down any fleeting memories that pop up or moments of association, I'd love that. Would anybody like any more information? Would anybody like any less information? Uh, finally, before I start, I'd like to say a massive thank you to Ross, Mel, Jason, Tash and the dancers from As It Stands. It's been enormously encouraging to see that there are people who are making rigorous, thoughtful work in nurturing and respectful environments. I guess in hindsight, the words that are coming up most for me are rigor, compassion and energy. I don't like how cliche and simplistic they seem in listing off like that. But having had the chance to observe those qualities sustain moment to moment throughout the creation has been something very special. They're qualities that I hope become more prevalent in our industry and I feel incredibly lucky to have had that example set for me. Finally, thank you to you all for being here. I've been reminded throughout this process that the process of learning can happen in many different capacities and the opportunity to have people to speak to about this has solidified the fuck out of heaps of stuff. Uh, so while I hope you have gained a small nugget of interest from this, I'm grateful to have your ears here because they have helped me to learn more. Okay. Now I'm going to dance. So that was Eliza's gloriously edifying speech from a couple of weeks ago in Wello. Um, I found it fascinating. I hope you did too. As always, if you would like to support our work here at House of Sand, please rate us on iTunes, give us a review, uh, share it with your friends, tell people to listen to Too Many Tangents. And if you'd like to support us in more tangible ways, you can head over to patreon.com slash houseofsand and support our work for as little as $1 a month. It's worth noting, a couple of people have noticed and just asked a quick question about it, uh, that that is one American dollar a month. Patreon's an American website. So set your uh, support rate a couple of dollars uh, or about 25-30% lower than you would like in Australian dollars. Uh, we do still get 100% of that except for Patreon's tiny fees, so we don't lose anything in international transfers, which is good, and nor do you. We will also be launching our newest uh, fundraising drive very shortly, so keep an eye out for that. We will keep you posted, and that will be for our next two major projects upcoming in the latter part of 2019. The Split, which will be on in Sydney in December, and That Was Friday, which will start creative development in Canberra later this year. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Too Many Tangents, and we will talk to you super soon. Bye. Too many tangents. That's our theme song now.